0: Kim, I just had an idea. Um, How about an episode on when did you find out that you're Asian? (laughs) Um, I was thinking about all our episodes, especially like the one we just recorded on the personality tests and then the one we'll do on your Berkman. I think they're all great, but I keep forgetting about how we're Asian. (laughs) And now we don't have a lot of like Asian identity content. Um, So yeah, I think it would be really cool to do an episode on, yeah, we both kind of like ask each other um, when and how did you find out that you're Asian? And let's not really talk about it before so that it's like really raw when we record. I have a really good story for this. I'm Kimberly. I'm Raina.
1: And we're each other's hype women, and we're obsessed with each
0: other's aspirations, boardrooms, and goals. Join us as we talk about our experiences of unfucking up our lives, Asian identities, careers, and just life in general. We can be your hype women as well. Welcome to Obsessed with ABGs, Aspirations, Boardrooms, and Goals. Hey, Kim. Hi, so what was your reaction and thoughts when you heard my voice memo? <laughs> uh, I was dying, actually.
1: I was laughing out loud. Like, my first reaction was to literally LOL. Um, and then I, I, I stopped and thought about it. And I was like, actually, that was a really good question. Like, how yeah. often do you stop and think, like, hey, when do I? Do you just know you're Asian? Or, like, do you, there are moments where you have to, like, stop and think about it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, that, like, reverse joke, um, that gay people ask, like, oh, when did you find out that you're straight? Right? When, like, being straight, being heterosexual is, like, this, like, societally approved, accepted norm. hmm So then you don't really think about, like, huh, I, when did I realize that I like the other sex? Um, so it's kind of like that. Like, Kim, when did you realize that you are Asian? So I
1: struggled. I did struggle with this because, like, in terms of the question, where you... Was it like, oh, do I have moments in time? Do I have to check in with how Asian I am? Like, is it like a scale or is there like a significant point in time where I was like, oh, wow, I'm like the other. And then there's like Filipina.
0: Yeah. Like a Filipino woman. Yeah. And then like Asian. Yeah. Oh, so for you, it's like a double layer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because so, you know, a little context when I thought about this, it was it really uncovered a lot of layers because I grew up in Toronto which is one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And I tend to forget that, but it's a very multicultural city. Like uh, you take so, it for granted, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I don't notice that until I leave Toronto. Mm-hmm. And by leave Toronto, I mean like leave the GTA. The moment I get to like cottage country, like an hour and a half
0: out, then I, I very much notice, oh, I'm Asian. Did you have... Like one or many moments where you were like, oh, I'm not like the other kids or something that like your parents reminded you of.
1: So, yeah, going back to growing up in Toronto, like I've always had Asian classmates. They may not be Filipino, but I've always Mm -hmm. had like different ethnicities. So I thought. Everyone in this world is just all different colors. Like, we're mm-hmm. all different. Like, there's no Asian. It's like a rainbow of different colors. How naive. Um, But I well, guess... That's the- actually a really
0: nice childhood, I have to say.
1: Yeah, like, I listen to other podcasts where a lot of Asian people are in very... The other. And I can't say I've always felt that way. Because my best friends growing up were always different. Like, people from different cultures.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I will say... I didn't have a lot of Asian friends growing up, like close Asian friends. I've had really close Guyanese friends, which is also a very different culture. I had very Mm -hmm. close Indian friends. I had a lot of close black friends. And I had, you know, I did have white friends. I had a lot of white friends. So like, yeah, there was was never a moment of like, oh, we're the same. We're Mm. Asian together. And I think the biggest notice for me is when I would actually talk to other white people does that make oh, sense? Like, I'll yeah. talk to other white kids and I'll be like, what do you mean? What do you mean you never had rice?
0: <laughs> oh, like, okay, what do you, what mean- you mean other white
1: kids? So, like, uh, like, if you it's hard to explain, because if you are not from like a, a a very if you didn't grow up in like a very multicultural school setting, some places white is the minority.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. 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 I can think of some cities like. Markham, I think a lot of schools there are maybe less white kids. Well, it depends on the school you go to. Yeah, because that's true.
1: It really depends because like in like the subdivision, because in some places in Markham, for those who don't know, could be also very white. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really depends on the community. And so like I grew up like, you know, at the time it was very like a low income area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then I would go into a setting where like I would talk to all my white friends, like kids and I'd be like, oh, yeah, we're just going to have like um, spam and rice and eggs today for lunch. Or yeah. like we're we're going to have a ad- chicken adobo or we're going to have patis, you know, with this meal. And they're like, yeah. what the fuck is patis? So food. <laughs> OK, so to answer your question, to make this long story short, I definitely think food was the biggest indicator.
0: Oh, yeah. Of,
1: oh, right. I'm Asian. Like, this is my culture. This is my food. And you don't know what that is. What? Huh? Or... Some people would say, some Asian people growing up would be like, oh, people made fun of my food. Yes. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, what is that weird smell or da-da-da-da-da. But, you know, I will say in fairness, when that happened, there was always a community being like, what do you mean that's weird? You're weird. Yeah. Because it was always a strength in numbers. And so I remember very distinctly, I had a friend who brought in a banh mi oh yeah the traditional like ones where the meat doesn't look it's not like steak or it looks like processed meat
0: oh yeah inside. yeah yeah with right? like a it's, little bit of like pate kind of thing going yes on. yeah
1: that's that's the that's the real bun meat yeah and so i remember this guy in the class this this boy white boy was like ew what is that <laughs> it's not a lunchable and yeah and the girl was thrown off she was like wait what and I, there was a bunch of us being like, no, that's legit good. What's wrong with your lunch? Oh, that's wow. gross. So, yeah, it was that was our moment of like, we're Asian and we're going to fuck you up. Wow. <laughs> but I will say you're right, because then you see the Lunchables and everyone shut the fuck up. Because like, damn, we want the because Asian people, <laughs> all the foreign kids are like. Wait, we want Lunchables because God knows we never got it.
0: (laughs) I too want the processed meat that's cut up in small cubes in a little box. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was like a mind trick. We're like, you can't make fun of our food. But damn, we want that Lunchable, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so yeah. I think that story resonates with so many people, especially when it comes to food. And at that age,
1: that is your clear indicator. Like, it's a visual representation that plays on all your senses that one is
0: not like the other. Yeah. Did you ever have moments where you were like, okay, I don't want to bring Filipino food to school. I don't want them to see me eating this.
1: I don't think I ever wanted to be like, yes, let's bring some rice and chicken adobo to school. (laughs)
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It wasn't fun, and then you saw kids. I then so what happened in Toronto? I moved to a very predominantly white neighborhood afterwards. By the time I was like ten or eleven,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I had moved to the suburbs. That was a big change for me. That's when I was like the only person who was Asian in my like class. Like I was that was like the difference between uh, me being in a community and me being not. Then I saw people have Nutella and bread. Which Ooh. was very popular for yeah. lunch. Yeah. For, wow. Like that was crazy. And I was like, chocolate for lunch. Yeah. yeah. That's what? And so when I saw that, I'm like, I don't want my Filipino food because damn, these people are having chocolate for lunch. <laughs> so it wasn't, That's it so wasn't true. out of, yeah, it wasn't out of embarrassment for my food. It was f- jealousy for theirs.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get that.
1: But I, I have to ask, where did this question come from? Because I won't lie, I was I agreed, but I was like, whoa, what how did this like come to be? Like you explained it a little bit on the voice memo, but like
0: what yeah, was that's the context? True. Yeah. I I don't know. I was cooking yesterday and just had this sudden epiphany. But I think it's also because, you know, now that I have my own life coaching business, my niche is um Mixed cultured people who are immigrants, third culture kids, children mm-hmm. of immigrants, refugees, um, mixed race kids, mixed race people, people who are expats who have lived in different countries than their own, like basically anybody who identifies as being mixed cultured. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in setting my business up, I've been having a lot more connections and calls with people of that background, which is also my background. And in that, I'm also following a lot more like Asians for Mental Health Instagram accounts and more Asian content creators. So there's this Instagrammer that I follow. Her name is Hikari Murakami. She's a Japanese-American mom blogger in California, and her daughter is half Japanese, half Filipino, uh, but born and raised in California. And she recently said on her Instagram that she's sending her daughter to a Japanese kindergarten. And she, every day, posts lunches that she packs for her daughter. Like bentos? Yes, yes. And so um, in this lunchbox, sometimes it'll be like a sandwich and strawberries and celeries, like a very, maybe like a typical white, you know, kid lunch. But then... Um the lunchbox component has like this hot water component. So you put hot water at the bottom and I guess you can put like hot food inside. So it, so it keeps it warm. warm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a soup. You know, when you go camping, it's like a soup container kind of thing. But it's a inside the lunchbox. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. It's a thermos. So sometimes she'll have like rice and um, um, this Filipino fish called, uh, oh, like milk fish. Oh, bangus. Yes, exactly that. That or like rice and furikake, which is like a rice season, Japanese rice seasoning. And she'll have all of these things in the box. And I'm like, I'm so happy for this mom blogger or this mom to be able to give this lunch to her daughter to take to her school. And she's probably not going to get made fun of. And maybe it's the climate that we're in today. Maybe it's the fact that she's in a Japanese school and everyone else is also like that. But. You know, regardless, like, I love that she's showing this on Instagram and normalizing it. So I think the reason why I wanted to do this episode was for a myriad of reasons, just because I've been consuming so much more content like this. Um, But also, personally, you know, now having lived in Germany for a little over a year, I have been questioned about where I'm from so much more than when I lived in Toronto. Mm. And it's made me think about my Asian identity a lot more. Because in Canada, exactly like you said, no one really questions you, at least in Toronto. right? Yeah, no that's one really... clear distinction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Toronto. Exa- exactly. No one really asks you, where are you really from? Like that really stereotypical question. So I, I didn't really get that all that often. But over here, you know, when I start to speak, people assume, first of all, that I'm American because of my accent. And then I'll say, no, I'm Canadian, but, um, you know, I grew up in the States. That's why my accent. They were like, oh, okay, but so where are you really from? And I'll be like, oh, I'm from Japan. And they're like, what? Whereas, like, my husband, who is, you know, you know Joe, he's Filipino-Canadian, but when people ask him where he's from, he'll say Canada. And then they go, no, but where are you really from? And he literally is born and raised in Canada, so he'll say, oh, I'm from Canada. And then they'll be like, no, no you look Asian. (laughs) Where are you really from? So he has more of an issue with that question than I do because, yes, I am literally from not Canada. So I'm happy to explain. But, you know, the default is we look Asian. We can't be from a white dominant country. You know, having been born and raised in Japan for the first five years of my life, then moving to Taiwan for five years and growing up in a Taiwanese society, but going to an American school, I think maybe my story is a little bit different from yours, because I learned English at this American school where it was predominantly Chinese American kids. And so I had more Chinese American kids than like white friends or like white American friends. And probably almost every year of me being at that school, I was the only kid who had never been to the States before. Because, oh, wow. you know, it's an American school. So the premise is that one of your parents is American or um, you grew up in the States or something like you. You Most kids would have like some sort of relation to the United States of America, whereas my family and I had zero of that. And I got into the school because my dad was working for a German company and, um, you know, my parents wanted to put me into that school rather than the Japanese school across the street. So (laughs) there's actually also a funny story with that. So my parents, um, when they moved to Taiwan, it was, you know, with a German company and the German company was like, oh, we set you up uh, with an appointment at the Japanese school for your daughter. They were like, "Okay, thank you so much. So they go to the Japanese school, they enter the gate, and the principal greets them, and they're like, oh, Mr. Michishi, Mr. Shishi, Mr. and Mrs. Shishikura, um, you know, welcome to our school. Um, you should not worry about a single thing. This is going to be as if you never stepped out of Japan, and we will, like, you know, welcome your daughter, um, and, you know, she'll be just perfectly fine. And I think those are supposed to be very comforting words for most Japanese parents. But mm-hmm. for my parents, they were like, hmm... We don't want that. Like, we're living in another country. We don't want our daughter to feel so comfortable where she doesn't feel like she left Japan or she doesn't feel like she left Japan. Interesting. Yeah. So they did the tour and they said, thank you very much. You know, we'll be in touch. And my dad went to work and then he was speaking to his president of the company, the CEO, and was like, listen, you know, we went to the Japanese school, but like, we don't know if this would be the right fit for our daughter. Do you think you know, we can tour the American school. And then the CEO was like, well, technically, you need to be American, like one of the parents needs to be American, you need to have some sort of American tie to the school. And that's the only way you can get in. But I actually happen to sit on the board. So let me get you an interview. So, my parents had a good in into the American school. So, they toured the school and they were like, oh my God, there are kids sitting in a library, like cross legged on the floor. Because, you know, in Japan, you don't sit on the floor cross legged. Like, you sit. Hold on. You guys don't have carpet time? I don't. So, so so here's the thing. I never went to Japanese elementary school, so I don't know. But <laughs> according to my parents, this was like huge that there were wow. so many kids like, you know, if they would like erase something on their desk, they would just like brush the eraser bits off onto the floor, whereas like Japanese kids would like neatly pack it on, the, on their desk and like throw it away later. <laughs> my parents were like, this is so raw and like out there. <laughs> so they toured the school and they loved it. So they were so happy to put me into this American school. So I started going and like, I didn't speak English until grade three. I was in an ESL. And so because I was among other Asian kids, I don't think I've really questioned my Asian-ness. I think I knew that I was Japanese and not something else, but not really about my Asian-ness. Mm. But then I moved to Michigan when I was in grade five. And that was the first time I was among Asian predominantly white people. Wow. And, and I don't think I had that much of a culture shock in the beginning. But I do remember this one day, one of my classmates who I became friends with was saying like, oh, you're from Japan. I really like rice crackers it was like this white girl in my class. And I was like, oh, you like rice crackers? I love them too. Like, maybe I can bring you some. So that day I went home and I told my mom like, oh, listen, Brittany or whatever her name was, like, told me she really likes rice cakes or rice crackers. Can I bring some to school tomorrow as a snack? She's like, oh, of course you can. So I brought it in a little Ziploc bag and I put it in my desk uh, the next day. And we were in like math class or something. And then someone puts their hand up and it's like, Mr. Mills, I can smell something really weird in this area. And all the kids are like looking around and, you know, not saying anything. And then Mr. Mills is like, oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But then the kids are like, no, really, like something smells like fishy or something. Like I don't know what it is. And then Mr. Mills is like, okay, fine. Like, you know, let's kind of investigate. And then my friend Brittany says, Oh, Mr. Mills, I think it's coming from Reyna because she has rice crackers in her desk. And Mr. Mills is like, yeah, Mr. Mills is like, open your desk, Raina. So I open my desk and there's a Ziploc of rice crackers. And he's like, why do you have it in there? And I'm like, oh, my mom packed this for me. And he was like, yeah, it smells. Put it in the garbage can. So he brought (gasps) over this bin and made me throw away my rice crackers that I only brought because my bitch of a friend, Brittany, said she likes rice crackers and she didn't even defend me. She was the one who threw me under the bus. Oh, that's so traumatizing. (laughs) And I don't know if that was like my moment of realization that I'm like the other, but that was definitely a moment of like being hurt and betrayed and having to explain like what it is. Mm, you know that's so like, hard yeah because Mr. Mills was
1: like, what is that?" And I was like, yo Mr. Mills, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I hope you have cleaned up your act in the last 20odd years and that you will not do that to a and any stu- any child yeah like, to make them also throw away food that is so you know like it's a just to watch to make them throw it away to make you throw it away is yeah. like oh
0: did he make you do it publicly? Oh, yeah. In front of everybody. Everybody in the class was staring. Everybody knew me as the girl who brought those fishy smelling rice crackers because she is Asian, not because my white friend asked me to bring some. Did you ever talk to Brittany again? I don't remember. I don't think so. I just remember being really hurt and going home and my mom was like, did Brittany like the rice crackers? And like I couldn't bring myself to tell my mom, like, I'm sorry, I couldn't give it to her.
1: So was that a poignant moment for you moving forward or was it kind of like something you kind of tucked away and didn't really analyze until you're older?
0: That's, I think that's exactly it. I did tuck it away because, you know, I did have other friends and I had a lot of white friends when I went into like grade six and seven in the States. And then in grade eight, I moved to Japan. And that was also another time where I was Japanese among Japanese people, but I wanted them to see me differently. Mm. I didn't want everybody else to see me as like, oh, look at that Japanese high school teenager. So embarrassingly, like, you know, if I was on like the train or something, I would um, on purpose read an English book so that, you know, other like foreigners on the train would like see it and be like, oh, that girl must speak English. Not that I would ever talk to them, these strangers, but like I always like, in retrospect, made it a point to appear differently than other Japanese people. Like, I wanted to stand out. Well, also, as teenagers, I think that's also quite normal.
1: Like, teenagers always want to be able to be different, unique, stand out in some ways while still being part of a group.
0: Yeah. But isn't it so strange, like, wanting to stand out but also fit in? Yeah. I mean, that's that's why no one understands teenagers. (laughs) Yeah. Like, did you ever do anything to, like fit in to a group of people or stand out?
1: Oh, I'm sure I have. Like as a teenager? Yeah. One hundred percent. I'm sure I have. Like uh in high school well again, growing up in, in Toronto, by being the only Filipino person in my group of friends, I already stuck out. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And we had so high school was different. We had a clique it was very similar. If anyone has watched Mean Girls, it was the cool Asian, the Asians, we call them. Um, You know, we did have a little cliques, but it wasn't as cliquey. It wasn't as cliquey as like some stereotypical things that you see on TV. Okay. So I was good at floating. So, and that was my mm. way of, this goes back to, um, you know, my Myers Briggs test, my MBTI. It says that I'm a bit of a chameleon. Oh, yeah. So I would just kind of alter myself. Well, still trying to be me, but alter myself to fit in a certain group. Like if I was sitting with the cool Asians, I would knowledge that, you know, code, code switching, actually. That's the perfect term for it. I'd code oh, wow. switch. Right. If I was a group of like I was with a bunch of like my white friends, my white Italian friends, I'd be like, oh OK, like I I know what this is like because I went in all Italian uh, um, junior high. So if I was with my Guyanese or black friends um i would code switch i would quote unquote talk a little differently i would i would reference different music and so that was something i perfected by the time i was like 18 i already knew Mm. how to like so but the thing is because i was in a multicultural school it allowed me to do that so yeah i stuck it allowed me to stick out but also conform if that makes sense yeah 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 totally and then let's say i was with you know, a bunch of friends who are like all different cultures, which was my core group of friends, actually. we were yeah. all our, my core group, all different. We had one white girl. Ah. <laughs> and even that was our place, was like a safe haven to like kind of just be ourselves. But we kind of already acknowledged that you're from this culture and we love it and respect it. And then we would just kind of like honor it, you know, like if I slept over at my best friend's house and she's Indian, Punjabi. I we acknowledge that this is the these are the norms in a Punjabi household. Mm -hmm. If I was with my white friend, right, right, my my like you know, we acknowledge that KD was fine (laughs) for dinner, (laughs) and that was perfectly okay with us. And if you were in my house, oh my god! Remember, there's this was a distinct moment. My mom, in Philippines, we love to eat the whole fish. Yeah, like it's not like filleted. Like when we serve the fish traditionally, head and everything, right. Uh, and so I remember my best friend Lindsay came over and I was like, do you want some fish? And just shoves this plate of this with the head, the eyes looking at her. And Lindsay, God bless her. She was like, no, thank you. I'm OK. But she was like, she was fine with it. She wasn't like, yeah. like, oh, that's so weird. She was like, yeah. I'm in a Filipino household and I'm going to respect it. Wow. You know what I mean, like, I'm not. Her. Yeah. She's like, I'm OK. I'm just going to have the rice and soy sauce, please. Wow. You know, to be fair, she doesn't like fish at all. So, okay, anything, yeah. they, So, like, in her defense, she does not eat to this day. She does not eat. When we go for sushi, she'll have, like, the vegetarian options.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just a fish thing for her in general. Yeah. It wasn't like an Asian or Filipino thing.
1: No. And, and yeah. we knew that. We knew that about her. And that's what we loved about her. But she was never, like, grossed out. When you are in either the other, right, or when you are the one in, like, many, it's hard, right? Because how, mm-hmm. how do you stick out but also conform? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what did you do? Sorry, going back, I like I just took over that conversation. No, you know, no, like, that's good. Why did you? When did you realize I don't have to do that? Or do you still feel the need to do that?
0: Oh, that's such a good, deep question. So now that I'm in my early thirties, and especially living in Europe, I've recently had this like realization that. I may have put my Japanese self on hold. And it's not like there was anything distinct about it, but, you know, going to... So when I was 18, when I graduated high school in Japan, I left to go to university in Toronto, which is where I met you, right? And... The months that I was job hunting for after graduation, my parents never said to me, like, you need to, like, come home to Japan to work or anything. They were, like, really liberal with, like, yeah, you know, be happy in the job that you have. Like, do whatever you want. Um, But I did interview for a couple of Japanese companies in Japan. They just never worked out. Um, And so the only thing that my parents did say was, you know, it would be really cool or really beneficial to you and your brand, like your personal brand, if you got a job where you can use both languages because you do have that as a strength. But I never actually did anything with the Japanese language in all of the jobs that I've had since graduating from university. And, you know, I worked at the University of Toronto for over 10 years and not once did my there was a was a was there a need for my Japaneseness or the language of Japanese really in my work? Yeah, I but I I will say that me being Asian and having that kind of representation and working with international students um, definitely was a big part of my job. I made it my job to make that a job. So when I did my masters in higher education, my research. Predominantly was on um, the acculturation of international students, um, retention practices. Um, you know what leads to dropout, things like that for international students. So I think that was like to the extent of using my Asianness, my Asian identity in my work. Um, so now that I'm here, and more people ask me about my Asianness, and now that I'm coaching people from multiple cultures it kind of dawned on me like, huh, like, I don't think I've really been accessing my Japanese side a lot. So I recently hired for myself a Japanese life coach. She coaches me in both Japanese and English. um, But I've hired her to work on my Japanese identity a little bit more. Do you feel a little bit of guilt?
1: Yeah, that you 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 didn't act it sorry, not I'm not trying to put this on you, but is no, it no. because do you feel do you ha, did you feel guilt before of like, I'm not accessing, quote unquote, my Japanese identity, or I'm not I'm not, I guess, identifying with it as close as I probably should be. Yeah. Is that how you felt? Like, was there like that sense of like uneasiness?
0: Yeah, I think so. I don't know if it's uneasiness, but I really question in my coaching sessions why I haven't why I haven't really used my Japanese self in a way. And it's an ongoing topic. So there's no answer, like a a definite answer to it. But since I've started this coaching with this coach, I've tried to consume a lot more in Japanese. So I've started to read more books in Japanese. I've started to listen to more podcasts in Japanese and try to incorporate more Japanese-ness into my daily life and maybe you know so yeah definitely a part of it is because I'm living in Europe but you know I'm in my early 30s and people around me are having kids or already have kids and I'm starting to also think about like oh you know I wonder what it would be like for us to start a family when I think about that I do want to raise my child or children in Japanese. Mm, kind and of like so, the
1: Instagram account you're... Yeah, Lisa. exactly.
0: Yeah, kind of full circle. <laughs> yeah, so I think I'm trying to access that side of myself a little bit more now. And now that you mentioned it, it makes me
1: wonder. I'm like, am I, am I in touch with my Filipino side?
0: I don't... Yeah, what's your take know. on that? Do you, ha- do you feel like you have a Filipino side or are you like Filipina-Canadian?
1: It's hard because... I've always identified as Canadian first because I can't I can't speak Tagalog. Like full mm-hmm. disclosure, I can't speak the language. I understand it so I can communicate with my parents. Like mm-hmm. and if they're talking to me in Tagalog, I speak to them in English. Right. So like I could watch a Filipino film and, and understand it. Yeah. But if I had to string along some words together, God forbid, like I'm in some yeah. deep trouble. So it's hard because I, I can't, I wasn't born in the Philippines. Yeah. I can't speak the language very well. So already I feel like I'm at a, a removal mm. from the Philippines. Like I've only been to the Philippines twice in my entire lifetime. How old were you when you went for the first time? I was 14.
0: And how did that go?
1: It was a bit of a culture shock, but I think my mom prepared me. She was oh. like, she's like, it's a different... It's gonna be very different from how you're living right now, and it may not be. Some parts might be an even better experience. So she's like, just, just go in with like an open mind. Just understand that some parts of the, the, the parts we're gonna visit are gonna be heartbreaking, and other parts is gonna be quite lavish. Mm. There's like, there's a big divide, but also, you know, there are parts where they won't be able to understand you. And there will be other people who will understand you fluently because a lot of people speak English in the Philippines. Right, right. So she just was really good at setting my expectations. So I went in with a very open mind. And uh but yeah, it was it was hard for me at first going in and you're like, Oh my god, like there's so many things going on and yeah. I couldn't relate to a certain point. Like I didn't understand oh. certain ways of living. Like okay. this is new to me. And so whereas I'm sure when you did you going back to Japan, did it feel like, OK, this is different or it's like this this feels like this feels like something on you, like something similar.
0: When I moved back to Japan in high school. Yeah.
1: Like, did you feel like out of sorts or did you feel like I can come um, back into this part of
0: my life? There was definitely reverse culture shock. Um, You know, in my family, we only spoke Japanese and my parents were very strict about us getting a Japanese education as we lived abroad. So when we lived in Taiwan, I had like correspondence Japanese courses where I had to do like a lot of Japanese homework and then we would send it to like a school in Japan and they would grade it and then they would like mail back more homework. What? So I did that for five years. And then in Michigan, I went to Saturday Japanese school. So culturally, I think... um it was fine because I spoke the language. I knew what, you know, what was going on. But I think identity wise, I, in a way, kind of looked down on Japan in the beginning. You know, I was Mm. like, I'm this all American girl. I would like wake up at like six in the morning and go on AIM and like chat with my friends in America. And then I would, you know, go to school regularly. And then, I'd be like, huh, like, this is not how we do it in the States. Mm. And I remember distinctly, I had to have a session. Like, I think every new kid in the school has to have a session with the guidance counselor. And she was asking me, like, so, you know, what are your thoughts about moving to Japan? And then apparently I had said so many times, yeah, like, where I'm from or, like, when I go back to the States Apparently, I had said that, and the counselor pointed it out. And she was like, "It sounds like you really identify with America being your home." And I was like, "You know what? I do. I am from America, even though I had only lived there for three years."
1: I think this also goes back to the North American mindset too. I don't want to like. I wouldn't feel so like hung up on this because, at the same time, the U.S. at least is a very um, what's it called The, the melting pot. Mm-hmm. It's like you go there and you melt into the American standards. Mm-hmm. Like your identity has to become, quote unquote, American, right? You go in and you have to kind of put your Japanese identity at the door and you are America, pew pew first. <laughs> um, in Canada, it's not that much different. We think we're so much better, but we're not. We're yeah. a cultural mosaic. We yeah. say, oh, all our different pieces come together to make a whole.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: we're, you know, Canada's made of all these different things, but like at the same time, there's still a level
0: of putting your your identity
1: a little bit at the door as well, right? Yeah, like,
0: because you want to, as a person, like, of course you want to fit in and be part of a community.
1: Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's for the greater good of like coming to make a community together. But yeah, at the same time, there's this homogenous sense of like coming together as one yeah. on both sides of the border. Yeah. And so, in the, so for you, I'm sure this was like an after effect of one being traumatized as a child. Yeah. Having to leave. Yeah, you had to essentially, th- literally, you had to throw away your culture in a garbage can full <laughs> in front of a, a class of Americans. Yeah, That is super traumatizing. And that would affect who you are as, as a teenager. You'd yeah. be like, well, if more for me to fit in or for me to, you know, be this kind of way or be this this type of adult, then I'm going to have to put my Japanese oh, and tuck it away. My Japanese yeah. identity. Yeah, and I that's think, a good point. When you came back at an older age, you've already, that's like such an age where you've internalized so much already. Yeah. That I don't think you were able to let that go just from like a, a one, a traumatic experience
0: and one from like, you know, upbringing in the US for so long. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what maybe was a culture shock in the States was, you know, I was in a pretty American educational system in Taiwan. And like all my teachers were American. Most of the kids around me were American, but everyone was from a different culture as well. Like everybody was an expat family. So, exactly like your upbringing, where you go to Kim's house, you get Filipino food, you go to so and so's house, and you get this kind of food. And that's what happened for me too, when I eventually did make friends, I would go to my friend Sanam's house and she was Indian American. And so we would get to have like blow pops for snacks and there were like pop tarts and basically they had like a Costco haul that they had brought back from the States from when they were there in the summer. And then I would go to my friend Melody's house and she was Taiwanese American and her dad would serve me like very Chinese dishes. And and then I had my Swiss friend where we ate a lot of, I don't know, maybe cheese or something. <laughs> now I'm just like stereotyping. <laughs> I don't know what I had at her house. But yeah, it, everything was like, you know, good. Everything was fine. But then yeah. you move to the States and like, you know, this happens. And and I also remember like there were Chinese American kids in my class in the States, but they did not want to protect me or be friends with me because just because we were asian. Like I thought they would like protect me or become friends with me, but no, they didn't give a shit. Cuz they were "quote unquote American and I Nothing was an part. other. Yeah, even though we were we looked the same.
1: You know, and this is where America gets this bad rap of of like it's always it's America first, like yeah. our identity is the only identity. There are other cultures or other people out there and it's not it's not an American unity melting pot first. We're not. It's not the only nation that matters in this world.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, and as, as like, I think Americans forget that.
0: Yeah. right? They're like, yeah. oh,
1: right. Like, we are not the right culture,
0: mm-hmm. quote unquote.
1: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I, now that we're having this conversation, it makes me
0: wonder, too. It's like, OK, now what? Yeah. Now what? Right. I, I remember like you went to the Philippines last year. Two years ago for the no, no. time? Oh, no. We came
1: back this year, uh, January, like right before lockdown kicked in. Right. And you brought your husband, Matt, for the first yes. time there. Yes. I. And here's it's funny that you mentioned this because now that we're having this conversation, why did I want to bring my husband so badly to the Philippines? Right. Because you're proud of your culture and you want to sh- yeah. share that
0: peace with him, right?
1: Yeah, I definitely think. one. So I went to Poland last year in May for a wedding. Which is Matt's...
0: Yes, he's background. he's
1: Polish Canadian. Uh, his family immigrated from Poland. My family immigrated from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that regard, we do understand each other of of having like immigrant families having certain expectations for us. Yeah. We can simil- we can at least uh, understand each other in that sense. What was interesting, be going to Poland with him, it made me want him to see my culture.
0: Mm. I want him
1: to see where my family was from, and made me realize, oh, I, I really wanted him to experience. I want to experience that with him as well. I thought yeah. it'd be interesting to like as a family, you know, as a family, when you when you do marry your partner, I do believe like you are a family.
0: Yeah. I thought
1: it was important for him to understand, you know, if you're now part of this family, you need to understand the Philippines.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um,
1: Which, I, you know, a two week vacation is not going to give you that. But I wanted to see it and experience it and at least meet my family who are born and raised in the Philippines and like at least experience the culture.
0: Yeah. And for him to feel like the other for the first time in his life. Oh, yeah,
1: 100%. Yeah, because you're not at a resort. When you go see family, you're not like, you're not like a vacationing, per, per se, you're gonna right. go experience it with the family in the way that they experience it day to day. Right. So like, yeah, you go sometimes it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I've I've been, you know, you know, I've been here, I've been there. But I'm like, you went on like, as a luxurious trip hmm. Right. So your experience as the other is like a place of privilege. Yeah. Right. So I said, this is okay. going to be different. You're going to be have. You're going to be staying with my family.
0: We're yeah. going to be
1: eating traditional meals. We're not going to stay in like a five star hotel. Yeah. You know, like we're you're you're going to see things that are very, very shocking. Um,
0: And you're going to be fine with it. You're so going you to prepared be prepared, <laughs> Matt, just like your mom prepared you when you were 14.
1: Oh, shit. <laughs>
0: You set up those expectations for him.
1: Oh, my God. I'm turning into my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I. But it goes back to what you're saying. You know, as we get older, you kind of look at, like, how do you want to bring up your children? How do yeah. you want to make a family? How do you want to move forward with your lives? And you look at your identity and that becomes important. Yeah. Now I, I wonder, how am I going to also bring in Polish culture into this? Even I'm like, I should probably learn how to make pierogies.
0: Mm-hmm. just because right. like that's
1: that's and not being a stereotype he like matt's family generally loves pierogies like Matt yeah, loves yeah, progies. Yeah. how can i make those dishes now and in, in turn matt's also be like how can i learn filipino tra- uh food or traditions that i can incorporate as a family? how do i make lumpia you make pierogies and he makes lumpia oh my god it will be like a dumpling off <laughs> yeah but it, it was those conversations i think now that you know you get older you kind of yeah. come at peace with who you are. I think that's just yeah. the natural. And you're like, now now that I kind of understand and, and appreciate and respect who I am and I'm okay with it, I'm more comfortable in my own skin, how can I be better, I guess? Yeah. How, yeah. how can I now bring this into my day-to-day life? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's so funny that you you also sent me that voice memo Um, as I just had this podcast, uh, Learning Filipino, that I've been following for the last eight months.
0: No way!
1: And I was actually listening to... One of the latest episodes of how to how to speak Filipino. When you said Good that, for you, yeah. And I've Aww. been I, well. Then and then made me realize I'm doing a piss poor job of learning Tagalog. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. You you said that to me, and I was like, I've been looking at this. I've been following this podcast as like just as any other podcast. Like you listen yeah. to it, you consume, it, and you're like, all right, move on to the next. Yeah, I'm not actually learning tagalog i realize i'm doing a piss
0: poor job and like no but okay but i think you're being a little hard on yourself the fact that you are even listening to a tagalog listening tagalog podcast goes to show that you are making some sort of an effort am i yeah i guess but like yeah if you didn't care you wouldn't be doing that
1: i i definitely think we we, we talked about this before being in lockdown made me really like question or like think about myself like you know, looking inwardly um, yeah. and looking at your relationships that you have and like looking at my mom. I was like, it'd be so nice to be able to like communicate with her. My grandmother, it'd be so nice oh, to yeah. honor that. I'm yeah. an only child. So yeah. like the lineage kind of lives and dies with me.
0: Right. And I don't even want,
1: I don't know if I even want kids. So this is like more yeah, concerning. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so like, here's the That's app, by point. the way, if you could see it. I'm showing for the listeners, I'm showing Raina.
0: Oh, oh, cool. And also like you as a podcast producer, also as a human being who loves podcasts, you listen to a ton of them. So the fact that you're making time in your day-to-day to listen to this, you are making a really big effort.
1: Yeah, but there's the idea of like, okay, how, I guess we can conclude this in some ways because we we said, how do we forward with it? And and like, here I am as a podcast producer trying to do diversity, trying to like make sure that other voices are heard. This podcast is less you know, trying to put forward
0: Asian representation, women Asian representation.
1: But what uh, work am to, I
0: doing? I could be wrong, but I believe diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era? Question mark?
1: Uh, that's diversity. A
0: Burgundy, <laughs> that's a Ron Burgundy anchorman quote. Sorry. A uh, whale's vagina. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, we both love Anchorman. So yeah, anyway, I had to put it in there. But yeah, you're so right. You know, talking about representation, us making this podcast. Yeah, we're all trying to make some sort of difference, right?
1: Yeah. And and, and I, I was wondering, like, okay, what am I doing? Like, I'm here. I am spewing, oh, diversity matters. But like, how am I, how am I doing that work inside? How am I rectifying my own diversity as a Filipino-Canadian, how am I honoring that? If I can't honor that, how am I going to help others? How am I going to bring that forward? If, you know, not to bring shame, but if I can't speak my own language that my parents, you know, were raised on, or, and if I don't understand that Filipino side of me, am I doing a good job about diversity in the workplace? Am I doing a good job in, in diversity and in pop culture? So I think the work does have to wo- go start inwardly. And, it,
0: you know, it, I'm not... yeah. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't have to be that you need to be able to speak the language to honor it completely, but it could be like through the cooking that you're wanting to do. It could be listening to more podcasts, learning more about the history, connecting more with like a Filipino community, you know.
1: For example, this is, I'm going to throw it out there. We're we're doing some uh, picture portrait shots for our website. Uh, and I was saying like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, a photographer to help. And I was thinking, who do I know? You know, and, and where can I start preaching, like doing what we preach? Yeah. Like, how can I start even just from like building what we're doing right now yeah. with Asian women? And yeah. I was like, my good friend Melanie, for example, she's a Filipino Canadian, loves yeah. photography. Um, She's so talented. Yeah, she is. Not only does she love
0: it, she's a talented photographer. She's
1: so talented. And yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to her first. Good. And it, it didn't really register to me when I thought photography until I was like, hold on. Mm. Why? Why did that not register with me? And then I felt mm-hmm. internally guilty. And then yeah. I was like, you know what? No, like she is so talented. I'm I'm going to ask her to help me with these pictures. Yeah. yeah. Good. And That's so really good. That's kind of like where I'm at right now. But like, you know she's also she's and she's one of my very few filipino friends that i'm like oh hold on like if i'm gonna understand like my own self like you know i should also like engage with others who are within this community as well
0: yeah 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 and um i think that's really really great and recently i should also mention that you and joe my husband you guys recorded a podcast episode on what it is to be filipino right
1: Yes. I think the the basis was um, letting down our Filipino parents by going into (laughs) (laughs) non-lucrative jobs.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we laugh, but it's also so true because in the coaching that I'm doing with mixed cultured people, there are a lot of people who say that they don't want to disappoint their parents no Mm -hmm. matter what age they're at. It's something that's in the back of their minds. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't think it's just like, you know, being Asian. But if you are a child of immigrants, you don't want to disappoint them because they worked so hard and you are, you know, your parents' dream and they put every ounce of, you know, effort and love and money into you that they, of course, want you to succeed and you don't want to let them down.
1: That's like a big pressure that I think a lot of... Um, Asian children, I'm going to say Asian children, like blanket statement all around, yeah. because I don't care if you're from Canada, from, you know, Japan, if you're from, I think all Asian kids feel that there is yeah. a pressure to, uh, you know, I will say, okay, you know, maybe a lot of kids feel that, but I, I definitely gets predominant in Asian culture.
0: Yeah, that that's all, true.
1: All kids have to give back to their families somehow. Yeah. It's yeah like, exactly what can we do to give back to our family what can we do to bring them honor <laughs> yeah <laughs> insert Mulan song uh do you remember that scene in Mulan where he's like um shame on you you bring dishonor to you your cow this horse <laughs> I, I don't remember the exact words but he's like you know you bring dishonor to like the dumpling <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's always in the back of our minds. All right. But I think that's going back to us getting older and, you know, kind of rectifying our Asian identity with ourselves. like
0: Our family does have a big part of it. Yeah, totally. Totally. So I am really curious for our listeners. What are some things in your life that makes you look at your identity closely? You know, whether it's in your professional life or your social relationships or your relationships or anything within your life like what are some things that make you think about your identity
1: but you know it it is true like i will say i am we are in a place of privilege um i i always keep that in check like there we are in a level of privilege and you know i don't know if we'd be able to do what we do if it wasn't for one or our family sacrifice and hard work and and be able to to be an you know in a place that we are to work where we are yeah um, to be able to do what we do
0: yeah yeah oh definitely Definitely. but yeah
1: definitely going back to what does identity mean to you is a great place to start for all our listeners and um you know i don't want to put guilt on anyone or shame or anything like that that's not the intention of this exactly no
0: no 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 but it was just yeah like a funny thought that i had huh when did kim realize that she's asian (laughs) So wait, can we have a defining moment for you? So when was the moment
1: you you knew you were Asian? Was it that moment with the 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 rice cracker? I
0: think so. I I think so. Because that's the I feel like these kinds of like epiphany moments are usually tied to some sort of sadness or some sort of like heightened emotion, right? Whether it's happiness or sadness, but for me that's the earliest sad memory I can think of that had anything to do with my race. Mm -hmm. And I think because I grew up in Taiwan and everybody else around me was Asian anyway, so there was nothing to be embarrassed about.
1: Right, right.
0: you know, and, like, even, like, our lunches in the cafeteria, it was like you can either get pizza or, like, Chinese food and, like, everybody would eat everything and no one would question anything. But then going to public school in Michigan meant that some – I think I also brought lunch some days and maybe we had calf food, but I remember I had to ask my mom, please don't pack me a Japanese bento that you usually pack for me on Saturdays for Japanese school because I want to be like everybody else. Mm. So it goes and back to food. Food is yeah, such yeah, a trigger. It, it is. It does go back to food. You're right. And I remember that like, I loved my lunches on Saturdays so much more than Monday through Friday. <laughs>
1: And for those who don't know, as well, like Reina, you're a, a a pretty good food. Like you're a big foodie. Yeah, like, I love food, and I think you like rich flavors. I think you you enjoy like yeah, like cuisine. So yes. I, I feel like you're being like I'm gonna bring home like I have
0: to bring a bologna
1: sandwich to fit it.
0: Well, like sad would kill you. Inside. Yeah. <laughs> and like I remember, even like the kind of water bottle that everybody brought was also something I had to make note of so on Saturdays I would bring like my Japanese thermos of like barley tea or water or something but then Monday to Friday to public school I had this like Evian bottle that you would like half freeze overnight and then put water in it in the morning and then that was like your water bottle for the day and that's what everybody had in grade five or six or whatever I could not bring my thermos because I would just get made fun of
1: Which is hilarious because a thermos probably insulates a lot better than a water (laughs) bottle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, than like a one ninety nine water bottle that you're not supposed to technically reuse at all. (laughs) But that was like the cool thing. Don't you love it? You look back, you're like, what were we
1: thinking? My way was so
0: much better. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: I look back and I'm like, Lunchables, why the hell did I want that? Why did I think Nutella and white bread was a, a good lunch? Yeah.
0: You know who knew already, even before us, Claire in the breakfast club. She brought sushi to detention with her soy sauce saucer and everything. And she got made fun of, but she ate that shit. Like she owned that shit.
1: She's like, this is the superior cuisine. Let's be honest. (laughs)
0: Let's be real. Yeah. (laughs) It beats Allison's sandwich with like crushed up chips and pixie dust or whatever
1: i will say though uh i do love seeing all this diversity now on tv and uh, yeah. we we talked about this before but it's fantastic seeing like these these foods not even being a thing it's not like yeah it's like oh what is this let's like, spend 10 minutes to fetishize on food it's like <laughs> no i'm eating and it's like it's just it's sustenance yeah so normalize it's, it it's normalizing and maybe that's the question we too. it's like how did we normalize it and and you know, like taking a step back and be like, how, how did we normalize certain things so easily and so difficult? So, so much more difficult than others?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think then that just goes back to like, what's the kind of effort that I'm putting in to bring more diversity to show up better within my community to bring more diversity, have more representation, like, you know, what are those things that we can do? So how would you now how would you answer this question now? Like, when,
1: instead of saying, like, when did you know you were Asian, like, do you feel you're Asian?
0: At this age, yes. I definitely feel a lot more Asian. Also because I'm, like, a super minority in my workplace in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I'm not embarrassed about it anymore. I'm, like, really owning the fact that I am a Japanese uh, – what what I call myself is a Canadianized Japanese I'm really owning it now at this age. That's
1: fantastic to hear. It feels good to like, you know, being settled into to your identity and being like, okay, I am not embarrassed anymore. You know yeah. what? I'm gonna lean in. Like, I hope I hope that I don't feel embarrassed. I'm, I'm I think I'm gonna walk away from this conversation. And really think deeply about it now with my identity and and see like, okay, like what? What? I'm just gonna like look at it more closely now.
0: Good. Yeah, I really love that. And no shame and no guilt. Remember yeah. that. Yeah, like I don't think, I just don't think I think about it, which is the
1: guilt. It's like whether I'm embarrassed or not, it's like the fact that I don't think about it is my problem.
0: Yeah, that's where I was at. And then I hired a Japanese coach. <laughs> well, everyone,
1: definitely look into yourselves, look inwardly. Yeah. Um, what is it about your identity? And maybe that can help your APG, your aspirations, boardrooms and goals. I love it. Love it, Kim. My mind is blown right now. But anyways, okay, let's bring
0: it. <laughs> Let's bring it back. Is that everything that we need? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we both walk away with these thoughts and prompts. And I hope the same for our listeners, too.
1: All right, thanks for listening to Obsessed with ABGs. If you love this podcast, if you love this episode, if you want to have more conversations about your identity and representation um, and empowerment, rate and
0: subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kimberly. I'm Raina. And you've been listening to Obsessed with ABGs.